Welcome back. This is number four. This is Tom and Scott, and this is the Grizzle Pod. Hello, everyone. We hope you made it through the markets last week. Read most of the week. We ended on a little bit of a high note, which is nice. Choppy, choppy stuff. Downward trajectory, but a little, a uh, little pop at the end. I'll take it. We got a big, uh, we got a big, a big episode here, Scott. You want to give them the rundown? Yeah. So. Last week, some interesting stuff happened. There was a market rotation. There were sell-offs in ARC, SPACs, and then SPEC growth, and the market was buying cyclicals. So we're going to take you through that. And then we got to talk a little bit about interest rates. They're still top of mind, and commodities, they're looking cheap. Next, we had Dave Portnoy launch the Buzz ETF, and it ended up being the 12th best debut ever for an ETF. So that, that was very interesting. We got to talk about that. And last, we have SPAC Daddy Chamath. He gets spanked a little bit last week. The SPAC bubble keeps on bubbling, but uh wasn't so good for him last week. So we're going to talk about and, that as well. And we got a lot more to you know the SPAC market itself. But uh, yeah, it'll be a good little chat there. So Scott, let's kick it off at the top. So clearly last week, man, market didn't want some stuff, wanted some other stuff. What what was What was going down? So it was that cyclical rotation, which our strategist has talked about before. You have, you know, commodities and things that have really been hammered by the coronavirus. Those have been bouncing back. It really, it was... They, and Scott, they, I got to say here, uh, so if anyone who doesn't follow Chris Wood, uh, the illustrious Chris Wood is uh, Grizzle's strategist. If you're not signed up, uh, his weekly is uh, The Goods. And uh, he was talking point. about, very on point, and he was talking about this cyclical rotation specifically right and it's a real differentiator here because a lot of people think oh cyclical market going up everything goes up cyclicals are very different from growth and he was making that differentiation yeah so he was he was calling this out at least two months ago so he, he's been on on point with everything and so just to go back to what was working we had the cyclicals working last week and what wasn't working were those stocks that have really run like ARC Innovation. They buy all these small cap uh, healthcare stocks and some other things. They got hammered last week. Software got hammered. And then anything that was kind of what we call spec growth uh, in the, the green revolution, electric vehicles, all that stuff, that sold off hard. Those had been some of the best performers year to date. Now they've come off quite a bit. So there was definitely a rotation into things that haven't worked away from things that have been working. And so the quick numbers on this, so just looking a month, uh, um, um, the last month, uh, what we've seen is cyclicals up 11%. And these other, uh, this other group of SPACs, um, uh, bubble, uh, you know. Uh, Spec growth, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call them. Those were down nearly 20% over the last month. Yeah. So it just shows you those ones that have run really fast. You might have been like, oh, man, I wish I'd been on that train. But it, you have very little margin for error to get off when things turn because in only two weeks they were down, you know, twenty five percent or so. Yeah, so it, it really was. It, it was a it was a quick, fast, and vicious rotation out of this stuff. And clearly, we're going to talk about it. But interest rates were a key driver there. Um, and you, you will we'll have we'll have more commentary on, on that in a sec. But uh, this is just it. Just really shows you just uh, how much of the market here was just um, if, even if you look at where the retail force was, Scott, it really was focused in those buckets, right? It was the the SPAC bucket, the ARC bucket. Uh, and uh, we had a fantastic interview uh, just, just over a week ago about ARC and the, and the challenges there, right, Scott? Yeah, so there's some structural risks that you need to be aware of in ARC that it's not just these stocks have worked and then they stop working. It's, there could be, 
So ARC basically has put too much on these certain little stocks that's hard for them to get out of. So if some hedge funds wanted to come along and kind of needle ARC a little bit, it could lead to even worse performance. So that's something you have to worry about on top of just some of these stocks, the air coming out of them. You know, very telling, Scott. You know, obviously, a good day for the market on Friday, just a, a rebound there. But uh, Arc was still down, and so was Tesla. Right. Yeah, that's and, all you need to know, right there. You, you know yeah. how the, the market is is still a little worried about Arc. Tesla is one of the big holdings in Arc, so they're kind of they're intertwined a bit. Yeah, there definitely is a high correlation risk among all of this stuff. And then obviously SPAC's getting caught in that as well, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. Oh, yes. Very, very good. <laughs> SPAC daddy chabap. Uh, but, uh, you know, this there is uh, there was clearly froth um, and, you know, what Grizzle has not been playing in any of this stuff. And we know that we know it's been bubbling all around us, but that's why Grizzle's here. You know, our point is we are focused on growth. That's what we do. Uh, but our our growth is fundamentally tangible growth. And what do I mean by tangible? I mean, this is not science projects that could go to the moon, uh, you know, a year from now, uh, sorry, to a decade from now, right? We're yeah. talking about companies that are making sales this year, next year. And you want some, it, it comes flow. down to you want something to fall back on. If there's no cash flow and the market stops being so giddy about something, there's no floor under the stock. So you want to always have some operations so people can say, okay, the stock's down 30% or something, but now versus cash flow, I don't need to keep selling. I'm comfortable okay. here. Yeah, and and uh, we just felt so much of the market. Uh, if you'd followed Grizzle, we, we talked about it. This, this whole sci-fi uh, sci stocks, right? You know, basically science fiction stocks. Yeah. Uh, Colonizing yeah. Mars, stuff like that. It's, it's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. a joke. That's what some of these companies are planning. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, cool, when you know everything's you know giddy and uppity to the right, uh, but... That's not the case in this market. And, uh, you know, those things. It, and the thing about it is this is this is this is the key factor here for stocks that don't have any anchoring. Right. And when I talk about anchoring, like like there's no perceivable revenue in the next five years, uh, valuations just get totally out of whack. So if you can't anchor, Scott, when someone's saying it's trading on like a thousand times sales for uh, in five years, well, why can't that trade on 500 times? You know, yeah. no one can decipher. Why isn't it 100? Why isn't it 20? Why isn't it 10? It doesn't matter. You know, there's there's no reason to say any one of those is the right one. Then it becomes fear and greed. So, you know, we're, we're clearly – and that's, you know, that's where this high valuation comes into focus and how much froth was uh, was built in here. And, and clearly, you know, uh, a lot of chatter just how, you know, how, how many gurus, et cetera, were created. You know, I've seen a lot of these retail gurus um, that, uh, you know, different variant forms of pump and dumps, Scott, really functionally pump and yeah. dumps. And I think it's important to talk about that because uh, we, we've seen so much of this push through social, uh, large followers too, right? Because who the fuck doesn't want um, free money, Make right? a quick buck. Yeah. Yeah, rich, exactly. Quick. Like exactly, like if we just said, "Hey, listen, I'm gonna, you know, they're, they're you know, we're gonna talk about something, um, and then literally in five minutes the stock will go up 30 40 percent." If you got on the trade, great, and and you know, Bob's your uncle, and you win. That also, but, if, but if not, Scott. what happens? Because it's making a round trip. That's how these things work. If you were the one who bought at the top there, you're gonna lose 50 percent or more. So it's a totally. very quick way to get rich quick. But if your timing's not on point, which is hard to do, you're yeah. gonna lose a lot quick. Yeah. And and this has to be said in these market furus that you fake gurus, uh, furu uh, are not your friends. Uh, you know, th they, they don't have their full names on their profile for a very good reason, because exactly. they are slimy as fuck. 
um, and and they're and functionally, you may think they're not doing pump and dumps, but what uh, you know, but when they're always sneaking in a stock with a 20 million market cap that goes up 30, 40 percent, that's your tell right there. There, you know, one of these guys says he's never had a red day in over a year, Scott. Like this is like this is the nonsense that you know these guys are telling blatant lies, and people still want to come out and defend and say, "Well, Tom, you're not being very nice." You know, that's not a very nice thing to say in the playground. I'm like. And, and all these people defending them now, right? When the market turns, these people will be just as mad as everyone else. But in the moment, I mean, that's that's how these manias go. And like we're in the point of the market where fast money's being made. And so these people are going to come out of the woodwork. When times get tough, they're all going to go away and they're going to leave you holding the bag on all those stocks they talk about. Well, the times got tough pretty pretty tough last week, Scott. And, yeah. and they did exactly that, Scott. They, they all stopped tweeting. You know, they stopped they tweeting and they said they weren't <laughs> losing money. Well, you were losing yeah, lots of it. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, you know what happened, Scott? I just hit my uh, stop loss there. I, I know I didn't tell you about it, but I hit my stop loss. Yeah. I was all in cash. It was all good, man. I feel sorry for you guys. Wipe your own ass or some some shit. Look at like my screenshot. Line. I have a paper trading account. It's not my real account, but look at this screenshot. I haven't lost any money. Oh, <laughs> man. What joke? But anyways, uh, what we're talking oh, about, guys, is these are actual things that they do that, that are floating out there. So, Have you seen my Maserati or some other expensive car? <laughs> Hey, see my watch? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Look at something ride. shiny. Don't worry about your portfolio. <laughs> oh, man. Jokes, jokes, jokes. But listen, the point is it, the, why we're talking about this is if, if you haven't uh, seen that, you know, if you don't know about this and you're being like you're being lured in by the watches, the cars, the, the trading that is too good to be untrue, but you still believe it. Get out. Seek therapy. You're in a cult. You're in a yeah. troubled situation and you're going to lose your money. Pump and dump. Yeah, sooner or later. So uh, it's better to start now getting into the, the three-step plan. Yo, totally. And, and we're going to talk about the biggest pump and dumper of them all, which is Chamath. Same shit. Yeah. He's just on a much bigger scale. Anyways, that, that, was a, that was a big channel market rotation there, Scott. That, one of our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, part of this market rotation is being driven by interest rates. And so we, we got to talk about that because the market is getting nervous that inflation is coming. And that would mean that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates to fight inflation. So that's been taking some of the wind out of the stock sales. But Tom found an amazing chart that looks at how people behave historically. And it, and it has some lessons for us. Yeah, it's, it's a great chart. And, and obviously a podcast, but we'll, you know, uh, yeah, we'll, talk we'll, you through talk we'll talk you through it. Very simple. But simply put, when you're coming, uh, you know, when, when you're coming in a, a Fed, uh, you know, decreasing Fed funds rate environment, the market, the market implied uh, future Fed fund rate is always higher. They're always suggesting the Fed will increase interest rates. We saw that through the 99 cycle, the 04 cycle, you, you know, the, you know, the Fed's Fed fund rates going down. So the bottom line is, Scott, we just come off a, um, a, a reducing Fed fund cycle, right? We're, we're at which, which usually zero. always comes with a market sell off, right? Yep, that's right. And so. You know, we're, what we're looking at here is, uh, again, now you're starting to get these worries that the Fed's going to increase interest rates. Scott, what's the probability of that happening based on what we've seen in the past? It looks like P the market always thinks the Federal Reserve is going to move before they move. Yeah. Really and, and so for those those who can see the gra graph, what it's just showing you is the Fed, fund, Fed funds rate at the time. And the gray line is showing you where the market thinks yields will be in the next two, three years, right? Just saying, oh, yeah, yeah listen, it'll be higher. It'll, Fed funds rate will be higher. But lo and behold, 
the Fed fund rate stays where it is uh, or goes lower. And uh, it, those prophecies that the market has talked about never come through. The market could be wrong for a long time. In, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And this is what the market is actually functionally pricing in. These expectations come from the bond market itself. So in, in a way, the bond market has been always wrong about about what how quickly the Fed, Fed will act to raise interest rates. And that for us as investors is a benefit because what what do we know for certain here, Scott? The Fed will be slow to act if yes. they do at all in the near term. Yes. And so that is somewhat of a good thing, right? Because if the market has been selling off, pricing in that the Federal Reserve will raise rates sooner than later, what if they wait? Well, then that's good because then we don't get a higher cost of money. And maybe some of the selling in certain stocks like software could be overdone. And so things stocks could do better than you expect. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and that brings us to commodities, Scott. The top commodities. So commodities, from a really good chart that Tom showed me, comparing commodities versus stocks, commodities look like they're at all-time cheap levels. I mean, the, the last time they were this cheap was in the late 60s. So it's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, so it's a fantastic data series here. It looks at commodities uh, relative to U.S. equities going all the way back to 1969. And let's just say commodities have been in a multi-decade. Multi-decade almost sounds too little for this, cut. This is like half a century of a bear market. Yeah, this is half way before any of us. <laughs> but yeah, so we've been in a half century of, of a commodity bear market. Uh, and I think we are finally at that point where the bear has awoken, Scott. And, uh, you know, we are we are starting to see some horns come out. And we are looking at perhaps one of the greatest structural commodity bull markets ahead of us. And uh, this is something Grizzle's been, uh, you know, pounding the table on for the last uh, year plus. Uh, you know, we nailed copper. Uh, we still think there's plenty more there. Uh, oil is obviously awakening as well. But we're natural gas. Again, and let's not forget lumber, Scott, all-time highs. And, and Yeah, you so, name it, agricultural commodities are even picking up, which those usually are very volatile, and they don't necessarily have the yeah. same trends as, as copper and other metals. But everything, so the, all the commodities seem to be uh, waking up to either inflation, underinvestment in supply, yeah. you name it. So the net net of this, guys, if you don't have commodity exposure, if you just – if you and. A funny thing, this is the exact opposite of the whole SPAC thing. This is cyclicals. Commodities are the basic of cyclicals, right? Yep. And so if you don't, uh, if you if your portfolio is filled with, uh, you know, these uh, what we call super, super torqued up growth stocks, uh, sci-fi stocks, ARC stocks, SPACs, spec growth, whatever you want to call it, um, and you don't have any commodities, do consider having some commodities as uh, as a component of your overall portfolio. It's very critical to do. Uh, we prefer miners uh, because you get the leverage. And there's two types of leverage here. Scott, you get the leverage of the commodity going up. And in addition to that, you get the leverage of the operational leverage in the business, which which includes financial leverage. Yeah. So what we're saying, guys, is if the commodity goes up a dollar, the earnings for that company are going to go more than a dollar. So that's why you own the companies that are mining for the uh, the metal, not the metal itself. So commodities I like because you have this underinvestment in commodities. They're looking like they're cheaper than they've ever been. But then also if inflation becomes a concern, commodities are a great inflation hedge. So you get this inflation component on top of just a good investment thesis. So we love investments where more than one thing 
even if even if something different than what we think is going to happen does come true, it's still positive for our investment. So this is one of those where if either of these two things, inflation kind of heats up a little bit, or just this underinvestment plays out and people need these commodities, they're not available, they have to be mined, prices are going to go up, you're going to make money in this type of uh, investment. So that, that so that's the commodities interest rate situation there, Scott. What have we got next? Uh, next, I think we got to go to uh, oh Portnoy and the ETF. Yeah. So this is uh, he made history last week, didn't he? He did, man. And uh, <laughs> what a week to make history because he launched the ETF on perhaps one of the worst days of the market, you know, in in quite some time. Thursday, Thursday was ugly, but still. They estimate it brought in $280 million, which makes it the 12th best launch of an ETF ever. Incredible. And yeah. basically, you're talking about a single day bringing in that much money on a day that was just like it was dead red everywhere. Nothing was green. Yeah. So if you actually I'd like to bring this measure to the table, Scott, if you actually market adjusted it for let's just say the market is up half a percent. You know, something run of the bell. I bet you it would have been the top five. Yeah. I mean, it would have done more, way more than 280 million. And that still yep. was good for one of the best launches. So, so the guy has clout, right? He, he has incredible clout. And I think so. If um, for those listening to the podcast, I did a great uh, interview uh, with the portfolio manager of the strategy. So, we'll just give a nut, quick nutshell about uh, what the strategy is it's a social sentiment indicator strategy. So, what they do is they, uh, what they do is, um, uh, so it's a social sentiment uh, indicator strategy. And what they do is they basically start to make sure the phone's on. Um, it's a social sentiment indicator strategy, and they take over 15 million data points a month. Hmm. Uh, and they uh, and it's predominantly through um, Twitter and uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, stock tweets. That, that, is that the other one? Do they use uh, Reddit so, at all? Do you know? No, actually, he doesn't use Reddit. Huh. So it's interesting because he just says, you know, it's not a it's not a great place to get indicators. Uh, but he uses uh, predominantly Twitter, and it's they're actually the the strategy is diversified across eleven sectors across the market cap spec uh, spectrum. It's everything above a billion, a five billion dollars. Okay. But um, also, there's seventy five stocks in there. So what's been categorized in the media is that this is a meme stock strategy. It's in fact any it's in fact anything but a meme stock strategy. So it's interesting. The guy's been running the strategy for uh, over over seven years now, right? And the wow. big year, it was basically ahead of the uh, S and P five hundred through most of that. Uh, you know, nothing tremendous, but last year the 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 roof blew off here. And oh, it was that must have been the best year for the strategy, maybe. Yeah. Ever. It was. It was. It outperformed by eighty percent or something ridiculous, something yeah. big, big, big. Uh, but again, it, you, the key takeaway from this, Scott, is distribution, critical. Yes. Uh, and millennial distribution at that. So what it's finally showing, Scott, is the the clout that millennials are having. Uh, and I'm talking millennial is cohorts around millennials too, right? Gen X, whatever. You're talking yeah. bumper bumper generations as well. But the critical thing here is the clout, financial clout that these guys have and how the distribution networks work. What's happened here was a big mic drop by Dave Portnoy, anyone in financial media against um, asset managers because asset managers simply do not have the pipes 
uh, to, you know, the, the, the megaphone, if you will, to reach these guys. And before it didn't matter, Scott, you know why? Because they, they say they didn't have enough money. But now you do one of the, one of these, Scott, and everyone's got to take notice to say, "What's our strategy there?" Oh, we don't. We only have, only have a boober strategy. Yeah. And, we have know. a bank branch. You should head over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this this is amazing because Dave Portnoy is not an investment advisor. He's not a portfolio manager, and he had the twelfth best ETF launch. So this shows you that the industry is kind of shifting. You can be a media personality and reach these people who have money to put to work. Uh, it kind of has changed the game for the old. The old way was you have a bank branch, you have a wealth management guy in the bank branch. He meets someone and he tells you about the ETF. That way, I mean, how often have you been into a bank branch lately, Tom? Like, I no, think it's no. been for me maybe nine months, maybe longer. So I've ever had to go real, in there. Yeah, a real long time. And so, you know, and you're getting this whole transformation. They missed it the first wave, Scott. They had five years to play this, Scott. Arc. Show them how it should have been done. And look at what ARK's done, right? Now they're over a $50 billion franchise. They're bringing in as much money as the top ETF franchises, being a standalone entity that, that was never a big asset manager in America. So you've seen ARK is the first wave. You've seen Dave Portnoy drop this. It really just shows you, you know, these asset managers right now, wealth managers are on the outside looking in. They're not on the inside. No, not at all. So they 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 should be. This should have been a, an alarm alarm bells ringing for them to see this launch this week. So we'll see what the what the banks and the asset managers start doing, if anything. Well, you know, it, it's the the tricky part is it, it it's not in their DNA. And I'll talk about something uh, I think is a great parallel here. Is do you remember when old media was investing in Vice? Mm-hmm. Yep. Why why didn't they do their own millennial channels? Because they knew it was uh, it couldn't they couldn't do it. They it could, they could just could never catch up, right? No, and it would be unauthentic. Uh, it, you know, they knew they would just fall, fall flat on their face. So the only thing they could possibly do, Scott, was to invest in something they thought was hip and cool uh, and just tie a wagon to it. And you know who dictated the price for all those guys? Fox, uh, everyone that was invested in Vice. It was Vice that set the terms. Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, Disney? Disney was in there too, investing in Vice? Yeah. Yep. So it just it goes to show you. But the big difference here in financial services is is that this is real heft. Portnoy's done it. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's, Vice, he's proven Vice. it works that when you have a media platform, you can uh, you can create financial products out of it. Incredible. And that goes right to the bottom line. Vice's problem was they were maybe getting the clicks, et cetera, but they couldn't. They, the, there were real blurries around whether the, the revenue streams were coming through. And, they're, you know, and let's be frank. You know, general interest media is nowhere near as profitable as financial media. Nowhere no, near. No. And it turned out for them, some of their traffic was lower quality than people knew, which yeah. lower quality means they don't stick around forever. And so the tide kind of shifted and some of that traffic fell off. And then the story was uh, not as, as great as it was. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. I think we're on to uh, Chamath and the SPACs. SPAC daddy. So what was he saying this week? He's always saying something, but. Uh, well, what was, oh, no, Scott, what wasn't he saying? <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was quieter uh, than usual this week. I wonder why. Oh, uh, well, you're quieter than usual in his paper hands. He was letting go of things, man. So SPAC daddy Chamath, um, you know, a great pumper of this, uh, of this, uh, of the SPAC bubble and all things associated, ARC, et cetera. Um, you know, he goes quiet the week of, of so very much like Furus, right? He goes quiet. Uh, but he did do something, Scott. 
Uh, what did he do? Oh, what, what did he sell? He started selling like everyone else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> those things he said were multi-generational plays. He was selling after about a year in, in, in them. So uh, so it's Virgin Galactic, uh, which, uh, you know, it's 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 a ridiculous business model anyways. I, you, Scott, you, you have some of the details on that. What, what the oh, hell? Oh, it was a pretty simple, nice, uh, overvalued stock. I like the, the thesis. Anyone could understand it. They're taking people uh, above the Earth's atmosphere into space. You do a little trip. It's kind of cool. It's like going on an amusement park ride. But the thing is, they've already said how much capacity, how many people they could take per year and how much they're going to charge. So you just do some of that simple math and you're like, oh, okay, so this is the most revenue they'll make. And then you look and it's five years away at least. They're trading at like 50 times that revenue. So you just say, okay, wow, that's that's a that's a story stock then. Because there's, there's no revenue for five years, plus it's expensive even when that revenue comes in, just like we talked about. Well, if it's at 50 times now or 1,000 times now, why can't it be at 20 or 10 or 5? I don't know. And so this – it's an interesting one because Virgin Galactic, um, it was the f- first fact that started this whole, you know, The real revolution. boom because there were uh, – yeah. there's always been – just to explain a little primer against SPACs are just like IPOs. They're just simpler. They're an easier, quicker way to go public. But because of that, if you're the company going public, you have to give away some of your shares to the people involved in the SPAC. So just think of it like an IPO, just an easier one, less regulations, all that stuff. So that's why people love it. You get public quick. You can start raising money. Yeah, and we're guys, we're going to do a little, uh, not a little, but we'll do a real uh, primer on the SPAC space, uh, ex- explaining the promotes, the whole set, set up there. But uh, needless to say, uh, Chamath was the ringleader, the Don King, uh, whatever you want to call it, of the SPAC world, right? Uh, and he said, I'm going to do an alphabet soup of SPACs. And this is like an absolute joke, an absolute joke. Like, bottom line is, focus on doing good things and, you know, don't be like, wanting to fire hose the entire sector with all these SPACs ill-conceived uh, where he's completely conflicted, Scott, completely conflicted. Um, and, you know, when we basically hit the wall this week and lo and behold, what's he doing? What did he, so he sold, how much did he sell of, of Virgin Galactic? Uh, 300 million, 280 million, something like that. Yeah, it, it was a serious amount of money that he uh, he. It was a good go. chunk. Of, I think it was like 30% of how much he owns of Virgin Galactic. Uh, and, uh, you know, and bottom line is, is that, you know, you go from a place of saying this is the future, et cetera. Uh, and then you're selling, uh, you know, uh, a, not a trivial amount of this thing. And so the people, which, the, and let's be frank here, the transmission mechanism isn't from him dumping these shares onto institutions. Institutions don't own this garbage. No, it's retail that does. That's so, why he went on CNBC. He's not reaching retail. I mean, he's not reaching institutions with CNBC per se. It's more yeah. to reach retail. Exactly. And any anyone in the institutional world knows who Chamath is and knows the tactics he's employing, right? And they're they're sleazy, right? Like they really are no different than a uh, than a than a pump and dumper, uh, you know, no name pump and dumper on on Twitter. It's same stuff. I mean, the way I explain his strategy is he's in the business of cycling money around. He gets involved in a SPAC. He takes the money out. After it goes up, he puts it in a new SPAC. So don't think Chamath is investing in these businesses as an investor long-term thinking there's all this upside. He's helping them get money in the door. That's why he goes on TV. And then he wants to sell soon after they go public and retail has bought up this SPAC. Then he Mm -hmm. goes and does his new SPAC. So he's not... 
the long-term investor you follow, he's a promoter more than anything. So you just need to exactly. know that going into any of these things. And that's the part that I think is completely disingenuous because all that he talks about is saving the fucking world, whales and dolphins and, and environment and all this, you know, like, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, income inequality. It's just all this motherhood garbage. It's just like, okay, fine. And I'm not saying like, that's that, great to strive for, but it's a smoke screen for what he's doing. Exactly. For the way he's acting, it's this is complete bullshit. And so literally he sells these shares and then through a spokesperson, Scott, he doesn't do it himself, a, a, his spokesperson, and this is a guy who's very active on Twitter, but a spokesperson comes out and gives this statement saying, oh, Chamath has sold his shares in uh, Virgin Galactic because... To invest in the new future something or whatever. But it's like, but I thought that was the future. And then you waited six months and now you don't believe that's the future anymore? Well, you know, it's even worse. It's not even he's investing in some future. But he's like tying it together with these like emotional persons saying he wants to invest in climate, you know, in fighting climate change. Those are the words. Fighting climate change. I'm like... You know what? This whole thing is just so ridiculous. You're fighting this. You're fighting. So, you know what? Let's just be done with these bloody superheroes. Let's be done with all this nonsensical Robin Hood. I'm, you know, we're democratizing garbage. Like, we need to flush all these guys down the toilet, man. And this whole like, like, let's just be. Let's just enter a new era of people just being real, Scott. Like, they're like, I'm done with all of this. I'm saving humanity. Because when it's clear, everything you're doing is nothing. It is anything but saving humanity. Yeah. Anything but. It's too hard. It's a great piece of marketing to sell your investment product. Well, you know, now he's been caught, you know, I'd say red-handed. And, and, you know, there's been several times that he's been caught you know where it's like listen you're you're having an issue here and you keep keep on bringing up in, income inequality and environmental uh you know saving the saving the world climate change etc and not to say these are not noble goals who who, who the fuck doesn't want to help people that you know that are down and out and do, i don't want to be living in like 1920s chicago with like soot in the air like these all make sense Scott. Yeah. like you know what I mean? like no one's gonna argue against that but it's just when you're being this disingenuous the, with the way you trade and it, it comes back to the old adage don't don't it's not what they say watch what they do yeah so i think things will get worse for him because what this has been the last two weeks is the stock selling off and there was some exuberance from retail investors chamath is very charismatic he's on tv but what happens is the pro the risk you take is if the company's underneath these SPACs aren't going to do as well as they say part of a SPAC is they can give you uh forecasts and say in the next seven years we're going to grow four times yeah. well if they don't grow four times the stock is already pricing that in it's going to go down so if these companies from the SPACs start reporting disappointing earnings then people are like chamath you told me this company would be a home run and now it it, it can't do what it told me it was going to do that's well, yeah. when the rubber really meets the road on what, what he was selling so guys, I'll I'll give you guys a big hint here, right? Because I've seen these type of traders, uh, you know the, and he's a trader. He's not an investor. Let, let, you know, and I would say not to be totally um, dismissive of Chamath. I think if you listen to some of his uh, concepts and ideas from five, seven years ago around Bitcoin, and and I think he had a great handle on technology. Like I don't want to be, you know, I think he's just hit. He is in this new, uh, totally. He got BS. a little wrapped up. I think there's so much money to be made. Maybe because I mean, think of how many he comes out with one every month. He doesn't understand the companies inside and out in a month. He's just no. kind of he's the spokesperson on top. The company well, has hired he, him to 
Snell, you and the idea. Totally right. And and I think the, the idea that, um, you know, and you always have to be careful with ego, right? Ego is, is the death of anything. A anything you do in life, if you let ego get in the way uh, and it becomes like, you know, he bought into his own hype, the super chamath, uh, you know, uh, you know, all this sort of, you know, he, he, he wants these outcomes so badly and he wants to be loved so badly by everybody. Um, it's just like, it's just like, just be yourself, dude. And I think, I think he ended up cease, he ceased being himself a long time ago. And it's clear with the, the mess that he has right now. Uh, but the, the, here's the tip for everyone. I got a real tip. You knew Virgin Galactic, where this was going with Virgin Galactic, right? He was already selling shares earlier, right? These are your tells. These are your tells that these are the worst hands in his SPAC portfolio. Scott, you want another one? Clover, Clover Health, right? Yeah. So he, it, there's lockups in these SPACs, which try to get retail involved because it says the insiders, they believe in the company enough to say, we won't sell for six months or a year. Yeah. He keeps breaking these lockups and he says, oh, I'm doing it because I have amazing opportunities to put money into. You can get into that too. It's well, all, it's all excuses. What, like, if, if you don't believe it, it, at the end of the day, it said he doesn't believe in it enough to hold shares in it for six months or a year. Yeah. But he, he he's very savvy about how he says, uh, you know, the reasoning he gets for doing those things. Yeah, so I don't, you know, if Clover's been bashed up pretty badly, I, I don't see him, you know, verbally uh, through Twitter or, or otherwise, he hasn't come to the rescue, Scott. I guarantee you this is going to be one of the orphan SPACs in his portfolio. Again, everyone's going to be very careful about what he's, uh, you know, what he's pumping, what he's not doing. And and listen, the media has been complicit for this guy because that's where he's uh, roped in. All oh, he gets retail. on CNBC like that. Any new SPAC, well, he's on there the whole day. Well, you know, and then he's out there ta talking the talking the tale of the, you know, let's stick it to the man. Um, you, do you remember? Do you remember when he was talking about? Uh, against these bailouts against airlines. Yeah. Scott, you know who took a bailout? Who? Virgin Galactic. He was chairman there. Like, this is like he talks out both sides of his mouth yeah, all the time. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's You caught him, Tom. You caught him. Totally. Non-stop talking about how these airlines let them go into receivership, this, that, the other. Meanwhile, he was chairman at Virgin Galactic, which is, if you think airlines are bullshit, well, let me tell you what space travel is. Fucking bullshit squared. <laughs> There's nobody on those planes yet. Those <laughs> and, planes are and, empty. They're on the ground. <laughs> and, and, he and he was openly saying, yes, we'd like money from the government for this. Like, please. Uh, you know, anyways, the, the bottom there been, line There have been other people caught in that with the, the um, PPP loans where where they were making oh, sure. fun of people taking the loans. Turns out they took the loan. It's a very similar thing. What's his name? Uh, Brown. Um, oh, Rifles Wealth Management. Yeah, Josh. Well, you know, I like a nice enough guy. But the problem is, you know, you put you put people on TV uh, where they probably shouldn't be expounding on everything and anything. It's this fucking midday quarterback. I'll talk about this. I'll talk about this. But I have no positions in any of this crap, right? And it's I don't really like, know what's going on. I just read some stuff 10 minutes beforehand. Totally. And, and Josh, Josh Brown, you know, it seems like a nice enough guy. And I don't want to get, but the point is you, you're, you're given this podium to talk, uh, you know, to talk about things that you don't know about, but to sound smart, you know, boom, boom. But then when rubber hits the road, it's just like, listen, you don't actually own any of these stocks directly. You're invested in a whole lot of like, really like generic ETFs, slap it together. Um, you know, should should you even be out there giving this kind of advice? I'll give you this, Scott. I know a lot of people loathe Jim Cramer, this, that, the other. He has views different than them. But that guy 
actually, like, you know, he was a hedge fund manager, and you can tell that he's at least put some skin in the game somewhere along the line. But a lot of the, the new wave charlatan, at least at a certain level, has no skin in the line. You know, who's a classic? Classic. And I do like Josh. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to be totally, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough role to be like the commentator, but, uh, well, yeah. and, and, and the thing is you can't help but take it right. You're like, Oh fuck here. I'm, well, I'm not no, I'll, be, I'll be on TV anything. every day. Sounds good. Classic. Who's, who's far more, uh, far more dangerous and, and, uh, and a far shittier person is, uh, Ross Gerber, right? Ross Gerber, and listen, so do you remember the, all the Robin Hood ads that would show all, you know, all this, like, you know, like, you know, people from, the whole color of the rainbow. Democratize trading. investing. Yeah, democratize. Give, give everyone access to investing. Gerber had the same shit. He had it all, like, just, he would, he had, like, shots of Black Lives Matter, changing the world, da 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 Dude, he just owns a bunch of indexes, right? And, and But he's on TV all the time talking about Tesla, about this. this like, you, this is a guy who fundamentally doesn't know anything about the underlying characteristics of these stocks, but very willing to jump on a podium, sell the shtick, and try to get money into his platform. Yeah, so he's no better than any other wealth manager who's kind of just started and puts you into a basket of ETFs that everyone else would put you into. Well, that's it. And, and, and there's one thing to talk about what's the right allocation and, and that sort of thing, which is totally fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like those, like, and there are fantastic advisors that do understand the areas of the stock and the whole market. But when you are totally, uh, you know, totally lying the whole time and saying, listen, I can give you, uh, you know, I can tell you everything about the world, this, that, the other, uh, man, just a joker. Rings joker. hollow. Yeah, rings all up. So and, what, should, uh, what should people take away from all this SPAC talk? Just to, I'd say just to be cautious on these things, right? Because at the end of the day, the companies underlying them made a lot of promises through presentations and, and other media stuff going into going public. And so there's high expectations in most of these SPACs. So if they don't really put up great numbers, the SPACs could have a tough time. I think that's yeah, the bottom but, line. I think that's that's it, and and I think you know there, there obviously could be some big winners in some of them, but I think yeah, well, I them, mean, we don't hate every spec, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And Scott, do you want to? I guess we'll, we'll you know what? Why don't we say that for the next episode? Because we're, yeah. we're we should there's we one should spec, there's one spec we think is legit. We had a big report this week. We'll talk about that in next Grizzle Pod. So uh, yeah, that'll so, be a good so one. It, it's not to say spacs across the board and you know blanket, but I would say it's going to be more uh, exception than the rule. Right? Yeah, it's like because more than have, 50, 50 will be a disappointment versus, yeah. you know, other stocks, other baskets could be 50-50 or better. Things will work out yeah. for you. Exactly. And, and uh, so I, I think the the nature of this, and especially the hurry-up offense of uh, of Chamath and trying to do a whole alphabet of SPACs and, you know, patting himself on the back, you know, it's I think that whole rah-rah, here we go. Uh, you know, he he's in a big time out here. He's got to fix this, you know, he fix his lineup of garbage. Um, if if he can, Scott, right? Like I, I don't think he's a fixer, right? I don't think he's. No. I think he's a whole throw spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks, run towards the next climate change initiative. Yeah. And, the market's you know. hot. Get as many out the door as possible, and then if performance doesn't work, he's in a problem because the only way you get rescued is yeah. if the companies do really well. Yeah, and and I think he's, uh, you know, obviously he's made a ton of his money being very early in Facebook, and he's made some other very critical investments like just being involved in the tech stack. Which you know, you have to be corrector. He, he's gotten a lot of things completely right, but I think then he really wanted to be this Warren Buffett of the world, the new Warren Buffett. I think he's just it drank that Kool Aid, uh, and then you know, but everything you look at from a portfolio manager's perspective, I'm looking at is the way he's managing this. It's 
like literally if he was a institutional portfolio manager which he's not let's be frank he's there to sell to retail right so he's trying to do this whole i'm you know i'm a you know i'm doing this big big asset management and i'm, I'm investing big, in a theme for multiple years you can come with me but that's not at all so he's he's the anti-buffett right because buffett is the king of diamond hands holding for long periods of time chamath is the king of paper hands Totally. Paper hands, shamath. And uh, and it'd be one thing to be paper hands, like, because the thing I do feel sorry for are paper hands where it's people who have no money and, and, and have sold at the bottom and, you know, it's just tough stuff, right? But he's like paper hands, like, i.e., I was given these free shares. If, is that even paper hands, Scott? Like, what is that? Like, it's not even paper hands because there's no loss. Yeah. I don't even know. And, and so, um, but, you know, the net net of it is uh, there's, I mean, there, Chamath is at the center of the SPAC world. So just to what you were saying, Scott, uh, it's going to be some rough waters if he can't, uh, you know, there, there are some disabled SPACs in his portfolio that I would say need significant attention if they can ever be revived. And all it takes, like, so just commentary on his portfolio management, uh, you know, strategy here. I'd say this is a mess here because he, because he's taken a, I'm just going to throw spaghetti on the walls. And I'll tell you this, Scott, uh, portfolio managers who take that approach of throwing spaghetti on the wall and just kind of running with it and never really do well. And if you look at what Grizzle does, we're anything but spaghetti on the walls. Like we stay with our calls for a long time. They're well thought out, laid out. It's the, you know, spaghetti on the wall as uh, portfolio management never works out. No, you never stick through the tough times. So when we look at something, we're like, we like this for 10 years. So there's going to be down years. There's going to be up years. But we're going to be holding through the down years because we believe in the story so much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Scott, that's, that's the pod. That's the pod. The Hope pod. you guys enjoyed. Uh, a lot going on in the markets. Hopefully, we made some sense of what's happening last week. So you can expect, you know, if next week starts red or green, you'll kind of know how to how to position yourself. Fantastic, guys. Uh, see you next week. All right. If uh, Remember, the pod is always on Spotify. And what's the, what's the other one, Tom? Oh, iTunes. iTunes. Yep. Spotify, iTunes. Check it out there. We're there. All right. We'll see you guys next week.